The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. Welcome to the Elk Talk podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson, presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk doing it's like 120 yards away. What do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk's being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes, but if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. (laughs) Did we hit the record button? I forgot to hit the record (laughs) button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> Corey Jacobson, how are you doing on this fine morning? I am doing so great, other than this uh, spring weather we're getting is uh, kicking loose a bunch of pollen. Yeah. I'm a little yeah, I... stuffed up. <clears throat> Me too. I woke up this morning, I sound like Willie Nelson or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know when my sinuses are getting stuffy, my wife says I snore. I usually don't snore, but I, um, I don't know. The other part of it, most at this age, when I wake up and uh, something's wrong, I'm like, well, I just got another day older. That's, that's the problem. (laughs) I've just gotten used to waking up with new injuries. I'm like, you know, you go to bed feeling healthy and fine and you wake up and it's like, man, how did I tear my rotator cuff? Slept on it wrong or something. Fighting with your pillow or something. (laughs) You know, all you younger people listening to this, Corey and I talk about this. Don't laugh. That's going to be you someday. Yeah, start now uh, working to prevent it because, you know, everybody always said, oh, wait till you're 30. Oh, wait till you're 40. Oh, wait till you're 50. And, (laughs) you know, I I held it at bay pretty good. I didn't put a, a lot of effort into holding it at bay, but I... I thought, well, I'm going to stay in shape at least. And I I think it worked to a degree, but I didn't work hard enough in the right directions. And Uh uh, I wish I'd have done a lot more to strengthen my core and my back because that seems to be the root. And I've got so much imbalance from, you know, I started shooting a bow, a compound bow when I was eight. So the entire right side of my back and my shoulders and traps and everything are just considerably more developed than the left side which causes spine rotation and hip compensation and all this stuff Hmm. so a lot of my workout now is just you know trying to get more symmetry in you know left side and right side which is hard to do when you've developed it for 40 years and then decide you're gonna try to do the opposite side it it doesn't pick up quite as quickly as it should well Listening to all that, I'm thinking if Corey says he didn't do a good enough job at it, I can't imagine where I rank on the scale of 
good enough or not good enough because <laughs> I've put more miles on a desk than you've probably put in the mountains. So. And that may be a benefit. There may be something uh, positive to that. Uh, uh, I, I can't complain at all. I just, I'm at a point where it's like, man, if I would have started this 20 years ago, as far as developing that symmetry and doing things that would prolong the longevity I wouldn't have hmm. near as much to complain about, which is pretty much next to nothing anyways, but right. You know, I'm uh, trying to think about what I really have that is worthy of a complaint. I can't think of anything really. I must, when I do complain, I must just be bored or want to get a reaction <laughs> from my wife. <laughs> yeah. But the only thing I have to complain about is just waking up. I talked to a buddy of mine, Tony Mudd, and he's, I think he's 61 or 62 and he is in incredibly good shape and uh, talked to him and I'm like, man, do you have any aches and pains? And he just laughed and he said every single day <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know, stretching is, has become just as important as weightlifting. Just, mm -hmm. you know, you wake up in the morning stiff and sore and just uh, a few minutes of doing the right stretches and you feel a lot better mentally and physically. Yeah, I've I've always been blessed in that category. I'm the most flexible, limber person you're probably ever gonna hunt with. Man, like I I wouldn't want to do it right now because I haven't stretched out. But <laughs> I can do I can do the splits if you need me to. What? Yeah, on purpose. Yeah, I, well, every once in a while, my wife will say, "Oh, you're getting old. You're just inflexible." But I'm like. Just wait a second here. <laughs> so, Man, no, I'm, I'm probably I'm, about the least flexible person you'll ever hunt with. Really? Like when I, I do my stretching exercises, I, you know how you kind of sit there and you make a V out of your legs and you kind of pull on your toes to stretch you out? I can do that and put my chest on the floor. Holy cow. I yeah. can barely touch my knees. Really? Man. Oh, man. <clears throat> well, within the office, I have won the cartwheel trophy. All these young 20 and 30-year-olds, they can't even do a cartwheel. I'm like, come on. So, so we're going we're gonna to have to – this has to be a, a Instagram reel or a YouTube short or something here. We've got to see you putting your <laughs> chest on the floor and doing cartwheels. Oh. And that's, that's as impressive as anything. Well, when when all you do is sit around, you at least try to stretch a little bit, right? I wish so. I did. <laughs> but I don't know. I've always been really hyper-flexible. Uh, I actually had a, a doctor tell me that was part of the reason why at one time in my life I had lower back pain is uh, – you just you need strength within your core to stabilize your lower lower back, yeah. and I work on that all the time now. My back feels like it's in better shape today at age fifty eight than when I was a CPA who had driven a desk really hard at age thirty eight. So that's awesome. I, there is hope, Corey. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm telling you. I no, can't I mean, see, I can't hear, I can't do a lot of things, but, you know, at least my back feels okay. That's right. That's right. No, and I think back is uh, it's one of those things, that, man, I've had back issues. I've Ooh. never had a bad back. You know, I, I've got a, a pretty good back. But like I said, with that right side being so much more developed, it did put a twist in my spine that, you know, it just my muscles have to compensate a little more on the left side and so i did have the 
I was I was predisposed to uh, tweaking my back before I really started working it and getting good exercises. And yeah, there's just nothing like even just a a sore back, you know, and your back spasms and a a rib goes out or something. It's debilitating. And so people who have like chronic bad backs, I just and I feel yeah. for them. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything that's more debilitating than a back problem or back pain. But you know what, people listening, they're going to send us a bunch of emails and say, well, Corey, the obvious answer is put a patch on your right eye and shoot left-handed and until you get balanced out. Shoot left-handed for 20 years and yeah, <coughs> problem so I, solved. I, I actually, a lot of my exercises do simulate drawing a bow left-handed hmm. um, and work in that, but it's just, you know how it is. I, I would shoot hundreds of arrows a day when I was younger. Hmm. And, you know, I still shoot quite a bit. And so it just, when you do that, there's there's no exercise that you can do in five or 10 minutes that replaces shooting 100 arrows yeah. right-handed on your bow. It's just, you really need to be developing that symmetry in the gym and then going and shooting your bow and, and probably... You know, I, I had a lot of bad habits shooting a bow, and so I would shoot hundreds and hundreds of arrows thinking that the more I shot, the uh, the more I'd be able to overcome those habits, and that's not the way it goes. I'd have been much better off shooting six or eight arrows, doing it the right way, than <laughs> being like, I'm going to keep shooting until I get it right here, and you know, as, huh. you, as you get older, you do get a little wiser. You know, uh most people know I, I had this arm injury, this wrist injury over the winter. Last Friday, they cleared me that I could shoot my bow again. What? Yeah. That was quick. That yeah. Was, that seems faster <laughs> than what we were expecting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been shooting my bow. Uh, I got a few holes in the wall of my shop to show for it. But. <laughs> I'm sure uh, there were a couple there before, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's uh, people who come to my shop. They're like, Randy, where's that? Where's that hole come from? Well, <laughs> I was trying one of those thumb tab releases. <laughs> <clears throat> After enough arrows went through my shop, I said, you know what? I'm going back to the normal trigger release. I just, yep. I could never get the hang of it. Fortunately, nobody got hurt. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> if I, they did i didn't get blamed for it <laughs> that was one of my habits is i uh i had a real bad habit of punching the trigger you know just i could hold the pins right on the target and hold it steady until i put my finger anywhere near the trigger and then the pin started wobbling and that's i mean that's a hmm. classic form of target panic and uh, rather than training my brain to overcome that when i was young i trained my finger to drop really quickly and of course then you end up with all sorts of bad habits but i had a, a guy that was an archery coach tell me one time you need to shoot a true back tension release you can't punch it it's going to help you solve that problem and i said man i don't know and it was pretty severe at the time i was in my early 20s and he gave me a thumb release to try and i put it on and i punched it so badly he said give me that back <laughs> 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 he's like i've never seen anybody do that before that was that was bad you're on your own here and, yeah uh, yeah but, I, you know it, it was it was a mental thing that i'm able to to control mentally now and i know joel turner mm -hmm. talks a lot with that shot iq program he has about right. you know it, it is a, a mental process and once you once you get yeah. on top of it you can train your brain it's uh 
Yeah. It, it is interesting how you go through that. And I think everyone develops a different mental process. Yeah. For me, the last thing I check is the level, the bubble, because I have this terrible tendency to cant a bow. Yeah. And uh, by forcing myself to check the bubble, okay, then my breathing happens exactly where I want. And I'm just like trying to squeeze my hand a little bit rather than jerk the trigger, <laughs> kind of like I am with a rifle. And it, actually, I took Joe's class. Uh, he had the online class. And I, yeah. I took that. And, you know, he's got his ways of doing it. I just kind of had to work my way through it and get to that point. So hopefully I get a chance to to do some of that this year. Yep. So. And rifle shooting has helped me, which, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's done the opposite because you sometimes, re, you know, you get a, a flinch or a, an expectation reaction there. Um, yeah. But for me, you know, I I was able to train my eye and my brain together that, hey, it's okay to be able to have the crosshairs on the target and your finger on the trigger and then squeeze through it. And so with a rifle rested, it's easy to train your your eye and your brain together. And then when you get back on a bow, because that was my biggest deal was my pins, I could hold them right. I mean, I could lock on and they wouldn't move on the dot until I started that that process of putting my finger up on the trigger. And then my brain started saying, you know, okay, we got to get ready. We got to react here. And you only want to hit the trigger right when the dot's there and the pins are on the dot. And, uh, you know, it took a long time of me. I think what really helped me overcome it was I would draw my bow back and I would tell myself I'm not going to shoot. And I'd put the pins on the dot and my finger on the trigger and I'd hold it there for 10 seconds and then I'd let the bow down. And the first three times I tried that, I could not let the bow down. I had to pull the trigger. Like mentally, just, <laughs> it, it was the craziest thing. It was almost like, oh. you know, my brain wouldn't let me not pull the trigger. And once I overcame that and got to where I could put the pin on there and tell myself, I'm not going to shoot, hold my finger on there, let my brain say, okay, it's okay. It's okay. We don't have to shoot. We can have both things happening at once here. And I think that's what a, you know, a back tension release or a thumb release helps you do is it's more of a surprise. So you're focused on aiming and you're able yeah. to just, you know, fire kind of not at random, but it goes off when you're ready and you can focus on aiming. So you it's, know. uh, there's, there's processes there for sure. And the brain, <clears throat> I'm, the brain's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I'm sure it probably would improve if I practiced at it, but I, I calculated the cost of what it was going to end up being as a fee to reside my shop if I kept putting holes through the siding. So, <laughs> you know what? I'm <clears throat> going back. Actually, since then, I've switched two or three different releases. And the one I have right now, I think I've had for five or six years. And in a lot of ways, it replicates how I have my triggers on my rifle set. Uh, I, like you were saying, you want a surprise when it, fires yeah. my rifles i'm at right at two and a half pounds uh and so once you put that tension on the trigger and start to slowly squeeze it still surprises me and i've been shooting that same model of rifle for 12 years yeah at the same poundage i still get somewhat surprised so in my release i adjusted it to be a little bit of a surprise that's cool so. 
Go Hunt has been a sponsor of this podcast since we started, and Corey and I have worked with them for years trying to give them our ideas of what we would like in a one-stop shop for the Western hunter, and they pretty much have it. They have all the draw odds. They have the strategy articles. They have all the research information, e-scouting tools, maps. They have the best gear shop out there. If you want all this stuff in one spot, like we do, to make the most use of your time, be the most efficient, draw more tags, and save some money, go out there now, sign up for Go Hunt, use promo code ELKTOCK, and when you do, they're going to put $50 of store credit in your account. GoHunt.com, promo code ELKTOCK. The ELKTOCK podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery. And my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTOCK to save on your next order. Do you have a two-stage trigger on your rifle? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's been super helpful for me. It's having a yeah. two stage trigger where you pull into it and then you get a, a second resistance there. And, you know, like you said, it's crisp on that second one. So once yeah. you come into it, it's, uh, it's ready. Yeah. But you can't, whether, whether you are or not, it's yeah, ready. but you can't jerk into that second stage, which is nice. It makes no. you squeeze to that point. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I've been practicing with is I, and you may already do this. I put a suppressed rifle, or have a suppressed rifle now. Uh, and I took it to Alaska bear hunting last month. I was impressed as I'll get out. And it changed my point of impact. My 308 is my most accurate rifle. I have, well, let's put that plural, my 308s. <laughs> uh, and uh i thought boy if i put a suppressor on this i wonder how it's gonna work out it changed my point of impact a little bit but my groups are still just dialed yeah we hit lower yep so it slows slows the bullet down is what i know i just put a suppressor on mine last week uh Hmm. tyler and i started a little video series of a bunch of different shooting uh, hmm. challenges and uh, cool. I had just gotten my suppressor I got two suppressors finally made it through the the uh, background nine month background checks and uh, got them and so I put it on and went straight to the range and uh, yeah I think it slowed it down you know I, I didn't chronograph it but just using the app and changing velocities to get my impacts right um, it seemed like it was about 80 feet per second that it Whoa. Slowed it down with the suppressor. Yeah, I haven't put a chrono on mine to see what the change has been. I just assumed it was slight because it only changed my point of impact by a small portion. Yeah. And we were shooting out to 800 yards at the the range. So, you know, I was, you know, the the farther out you get, I think the better it is to make your adjustments because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it. 200 yards you're like well i'm only a half inch low but then you get out to 800 yards and you're three (laughs) feet low and so uh you know changing my velocity in the app to get the to get my ballistics right uh on the dope was uh it it was about 80 feet per second to where i got to where i was back on 
with hmm. my uh, with my radical change. So, wow, that's yeah. interesting. Well, I can't hardly see out to 800 yards. I don't <laughs> have to worry about shooting that far. <laughs> it was funny. But we were shooting little steel, like 12, 12 by 12 at 600 and a 12 by 16 at 800. And I couldn't hit the steel at 800. And the, the, mm. the weather wasn't perfect. It was a little rainy and we'd get a little gust every now and then. So I'm using that as a bit of an excuse. But uh, mm. we even talked that... You know, there, there's an effective, there's a range, and then there's an effective range in the same archery. <laughs> but uh, I hit yeah. three out of three center of the steel at 400 yards. Uh, first one was center of the steel at 600, and then I missed the next two. And then I didn't hit steel with three shots at 800. And so, hmm. you know, when you come back, it's like, hey, my effective range is about 400 yards then with this rifle. And anything yeah. beyond that, I think 600, I could probably, with a little bit of shooting and dialing in and things were good, you know, I could probably get three out of three pretty consistently on the steel there. But 800 was, you could tell it was it was all over yeah. the place. So I think well, it's important to go out and, and shoot and find your effective range rather than mm -hmm. shoot a bunch at 200. And it's like, man, I'm shooting a two inch group at 200. I'm, you know, I'm MOA. Everything's good. <laughs> and then you go, well, there's one at 500. If I'm good at 200, the rifle's on at 500. And it's, uh, yeah, it's not the it same. It doesn't work that way. No. no. Well, it's good that I actually they released me to shoot a rifle just before I left to Alaska. So I shot every day for about a week. And the things you have to do to articulate your wrist for a proper grip on a rifle stock, I took that for granted. And uh, my first groups, oh my gosh, I, I it was like archery range. It's like, oh boy, this this bear better be really close. Uh, and then for my PT, I went and took a, a stock off one of my other rifles, the identical stock to what I knew I'd be shooting. And I did PT with that stock every day, sitting here in the office. People probably thinking, what's Randy doing with a stock on a, <laughs> without a rifle? But So it worked out. <clears throat> and... Uh, I guess all things with practice do get better, and now I'm I'm excited that it's it's summertime and uh, I'm released to to be shooting arrows. And uh, that's very cool. Yeah, I was surprised how well it went. I did not have to adjust my pins, not one bit, nothing. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is amazing. Let's just stop right here. But so. But I was worried about it. So my first one I shot at my grouse target is only like six yards. I'm like, well, we'll see. <laughs> you have a grouse target. Doesn't everybody? <laughs> I didn't even know they made grouse targets. Well, they don't. You got to take a Sharpie and draw it out on your oh, own. Oh, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> That's how dedicated you are uh, to grouse hunting. You yep. have a grouse target. Yep. Everybody needs one. But uh, anyhow, what did you do to, while I was in Alaska bear hunting, you brought in more viewer comments the end of May and first part of June than we've ever had. Really? Yeah. What'd you do? You say something inflammatory on one of your Reach Your Peak episodes or something? I don't think so. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of you know, negative comments when we mm -mm. got on the political bandwagon earlier this spring, there were a few people that oh, were calling boy. us out, but, um, yeah, 
No, the, the comments so. have been good. No, I think, uh, you know, one of the, one of the topics I got messaged a bunch was, uh, I mentioned I got Lyme disease back in 2009 and mm-hmm. I got a lot of comments about that and questions about that. And then, uh, you know, I think anytime you start telling hunting stories, which is what I'm doing in that mini series, uh, you know, people like to hear a good story and, uh, yeah. The one we just released was uh, the story of one I hunted with you in New Mexico. So uh, had you and me in that story. And uh, I think huh. there, people can always come up with comments when you and I hunt together. <laughs> I hope you didn't rap me out about on that hunt when you called that bull right through that opening. And I yeah. didn't have, have my I mouth. Might have. I might have okay. uh, mentioned it. I I didn't dwell on it or anything, <laughs> but... Well, I just, folks, you didn't get to see the full view of this. So this bull bugles, Corey says, I'll move slightly uphill. I'm going to pull him right across this opening in front of you. So I got two camera guys with me, uh, (laughs) Ben and and Marcus. And we hear the elk coming, and I start getting ready. And as I start getting ready, I think, "Uh uh-oh, I forgot to put my diaphragm call in my mouth. Well, maybe he'll just stop right in that opening. Well, he didn't. It was 25 yards away. He walked right through the opening. And by the time I got done whistling and cooching and whatever I was trying to do, when he did finally stop, Corey probably could have shot him. He's looking right at Corey, and now he's behind a tree. And eventually he walks off, and I walk up to Corey, and he says, what happened? I'm trying to think of a good excuse because I know I'd committed sin number one of archery elk hunting. (laughs) And uh, finally, I just had to fess up. I didn't have my diaphragm in my mouth, and I couldn't stop him until he got behind that tree. Corey didn't say a word to me. He just put his pack on, grabbed his bow, and he was then a glimmering dot going over a ridge about a half mile away with just clouded dust behind him i thought to myself well maybe when i catch up to him he'll uh he'll have got it out of his system and he won't <laughs> beat me up or something by the time i caught up to Corey, he is sitting under the shade of this tree i still remember this and you've broken all these little <laughs> sticks off and you've placed them in the ground in the sand and it says, I hate elk. <laughs> and I, I'm convinced that before he saw us coming up the ridge or me dragging my butt up the ridge behind the two camera guys, it said, I hate Randy. <laughs> and he rearranged all the sticks uh, by the time I got up there. So No, it didn't rearrange them at all. I, I would never okay. say I hate Randy. I I think at that point, that was like day four or five of our hunt. And I think that was our first call in. In fact, I think that Mm -hmm. was the only call in we had. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we had gotten in front of that bull. I, in fact, in my, in uh, the reaching your peak episode where I talk about it, I said, I don't know if Randy would have given me credit for actually calling that bull in because we heard him bugling and he was heading to his bedding area and we kind of just got in front of him and cut him off and we pulled him a little bit, but it probably, you know, between your mess up and the, the tough time we were having, um, I don't know that that was actually considered a call in anyway. 
Oh yeah, it was. He was okay. gonna bet. He he was gonna bet on that shaded ponderosa ridge. Yeah, you pulled we him right out across that draw. Yeah, <clears throat> you pulled him right out across that draw into the sun. It's like, Mark. <laughs> after he turned, you know, Marcus is an experienced elk hunter. Also, he he just looked at me like, pal, I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you screwed it up. He didn't say anything. He didn't yeah. say a word. He just gave the aw shucks kind of a, and when I said, well, I got to go up and talk to Corey, I think Marcus was like, I'm glad he's going to talk to Corey and not me. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, No, I, I never get upset when people make mistakes because I make mistakes. And I mean, I've set up after 30 years of archery elk hunt and I still set up behind a tree sometimes and the elk comes in and I have no shooting lane and just kick myself. I'm yeah. like, that's the basic you know, set up in front of the stuff. So I, uh, things happen and especially in the heat of the moment there, but not having a diaphragm in your mouth, that's, that should be automatic. And so that's a good reminder for both of us. Plus anyone who's listening, we can, uh, we can share that the one calling we had on that entire hunt with two camera guys over your shoulder, the bull broadside at 25 yards in a lane could have mm-hmm. been pretty epic, but could have been, it was, but you know, I, I could screw up a sunny day fishing. So, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, there it is for all the world to see. Yeah. But it's very seldom that I even go on a stock of a grouse that I don't have a diaphragm call in my mouth anymore. So <laughs> lesson but, uh, learned. Yeah. <clears throat> no, it's, if I ever repeat that mistake, I'm just going to put my bow away and I'm not, not archery hunting anymore. Yeah, I doubt that. That's, I doubt that I'll make that mistake. Yeah. I mean, I just, <laughs> I, but, oh, wow. So, uh, but there uh, was, there was some pretty good video of Randy making some uh, natural, but probably unique and unauthentic sounds trying to get the elk to stop. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, elk. Hey, bull. (laughs) I think that's what finally got him to stop. He's like, what is all that noise over there? Uh huh. Oh, well. That's uh, live and learn, right? That's right. uh, You know, what what did John Wayne say? Life's hard, really hard when you're stupid. So that's, I just got to deal with that. But uh, so, that's probably what's generated a lot of our viewer comments. We've, we've got a lot of people saying, boy, keep doing those, keep doing those. So I guess we'll try to figure out if we can keep doing those. Uh, yeah, I'm planning on doing, I think, you know, there's, there's two things there. First, um, they're getting extra episodes. So we're doing them in between our regular episodes. So now mm-hmm. we're kind of, we've doubled the frequency that we're putting episodes yeah. out. And so I think, uh, we're getting more comments from that, but then, uh, there's, you know, me being able to talk about you without you there to defend yourself. I think, uh, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's, I mean, good. that's probably generating a little conversation as well. Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by the university of elk hunting. The university of elk hunting was founded by Corey Jacobson. It is now part of the suite of courses out there at outdoorclass.com. So if you want to sign up for the university of elk hunting and save some money, Go out to outdoorclass.com and use Elk Talk as your promo code and you'll get 20% off. 
But more importantly, you're going to get the University of Elk Hunting. You're going to get other courses from Outdoor Class taught by Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, John Barclow, Hank Shaw, Jamie Teagan, and on and on and on. There you have it. Outdoorclass.com will get you the University of Elk Hunting. Just make sure you use promo code ELKTALK and save 20%. Yeah. Well, I don't know what you're doing uh, September 4th through the 11th, <clears throat> but I do have an Idaho elk tag. So. Do you? Mm-hmm. Uh, an archery tag? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. So I even rented a cabin. I'm... You rented a cabin? I did. Now you've got my attention. (laughs) Uh, I rented a Forest Service cabin. Wow. And uh, you know why I did it? This this sounds like being a wimp, but I get tired of how much extra work it is to to do food storage when you're in a backcountry camp in grizzly country. And I, I do it, but it's a pain. And then... When you cook something, when you got your wrappers or, your, you know, whatever kind of leftover, you got to store that. Yeah. You know, so you got one bag of food hanging way up there. You got another bag of trash and other stuff. And it's like, you know what? I, I just happened to go out on the Forest Service website. I think it's called recreation.gov. And it said, oh, this cabin is available then. Wow. Like, what? Why would that cabin be available in September? <laughs> that should tell me right there that it, the elk hunting there probably sucks. But oh, well, hey, uh, at least that's the, where we're staying. The lodging so. will be good. That's great. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're hunting in grizzly country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We uh, we get a handful of emails with questions about that still. Yeah, I know. We, uh, we got the one where the guy said he doesn't mind it, but he's got a hunting partner that just is averse to the idea uh what should we do uh, <laughs> that's almost know, like a marriage advice question. well yeah <laughs> I, I was just telling someone this the other day I, we've done those ask me anything uh whatever you know people send in questions and one guy said hey i'm getting married in uh six months or whatever but my soon-to-be wife she's an avid anti-hunter and we just haven't been able to reconcile this so I just read the question. I said, well, that's easy. Just, you know, park company, go, you know, call off the wedding and hell with it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the camera guys were like, what? <laughs> and then my wife watches it. She's like, you can't tell people to do that. That's, I'm like, well, that's the obvious answer. That's probably no, that's be- the only one that's going to work out, honestly. Yeah. So may, uh, maybe I saved the guy, you know, all this cost for a wedding or whatever. I don't know. Maybe he got married anyhow. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, it's comparable to the person who says, well, I got this really great spot. I know there are a lot of elk in there, but there's grizzlies. And I have this hunting friend. He just, he won't go in there. I'll leave him at the truck. <laughs> Leave him at the Forest Service cabin. Yeah, you know, <laughs> let him cook coffee, let him make breakfast and clean up while you go elk hunting. I, I, you, I, you just aren't gonna. I mean, no matter if somebody is adverse to hunting in grizzly country, which there's don't there is no judgment here because it no, is not. it's not your normal hunting experience. Mm-hmm. But if you absolutely aren't comfortable doing it, going and experiencing it is not going to make you more comfortable. No, And so it's not a matter of just convincing somebody to go that, hey, it's going to be okay, let's just go. 
they're not going to enjoy the experience. They're going to lay awake every night, listening to every pine cone drop and think a, a grizzly bears outside the tent. They're going to, you know, walk around every little brush pile. And I know because I hate rattlesnakes. And when I hunt, <laughs> when I hunt in rattlesnake country, it, it ruins the experience. It's not fun because I'm looking at the ground. I'm worried about every step. And, uh, you know, with grizzlies, I'm, I don't have that same fear. And, you mm-hmm. know, there definitely there's a, a high level of preparation and prevention. But I'm... You know, I'm I'm okay with it. But if somebody's not, you're not going to be able to drag them along and make them feel comfortable. Yeah, and if it, this is the other part of that is, if you go somewhere where there aren't grizzlies, don't don't be mad. Okay, don't be like, well, if we would have went to my spot yeah. or I, you know, there's good. You're hunting. going there. <laughs> you you either make that decision that you're going to do that and go and enjoy it where the other person's comfortable or just decide not to hunt together. I, yeah. I know that kind of sounds blunt, but you know, you're there to have fun. So if you, if you pivot and go to plan B, do it with all the enthusiasm with the same, you know, commitment that you would if you were going to your preferred spot and not going to the preferred spot can't become a crutch or a a uh yeah uh, you know you, you can't hold that against your hunting partner when things get tough no going into right. it that we're not going i'm 100 percent committed if things get tough i'm not gonna you know hold a grudge and say well if we'd went to my spot this wouldn't have happened or whatever yeah. but going back to your your comment about the anti-hunter and the the hunter getting married Uh you know i i think uh there's Uh-oh. always exceptions and uh you know i, I think if okay. somebody's emailing randy to ask for a marital advice on how to overcome this huge obstacle that hunting is so important to them and this fiance is strongly against hunting um I have too many buddies that, you know, their wife's not against hunting. They're just against the husband being gone for a week at a time. And they have not been able to enjoy a week of peaceful hunting since they got married. And things just usually don't change. So, you know, it's hard to go into a relationship like that expecting someone to change, especially on something as fundamental as that. But with that being said, um, I know people that have married people who were vegans and didn't hunt and they mm-hmm. got them into hunting and now they hunt and eat meat and, yep. and everything. So it, yeah. it can happen, but right. you, you've been warned that the odds are not in your favor. I, uh, I've seen that movie quite a few times and not one of them had a good ending. So I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. You, you reach a point in your life, Corey, where you really, uh, you, you, I don't want to say you're untactful or uncouth, but you realize that saying what needs to be said sometimes is more important than worrying about someone's feelings. The direct path gets you to the destination a lot faster than dancing yeah. around and so I just felt that that was one of them. You know, I've had the benefit of some people giving me advice that maybe I didn't want to hear. And I was trying to figure out, you know, how's a way that I just don't have to deal with this reality. 
And finally, someone gives me the hard advice I needed. And now I appreciate that they just told me how it is. Yep. There you go. But to that point, uh, we had a couple questions over the last month of people uh, getting their spouses into hunting, getting their kids into hunting, how to go elk hunting and not deprive the family of vacation time and take the family with. Uh, do we have any thoughts or ideas on that? Um, I, I mean, I got a lot of ideas on it, but uh, so, so the question, I, I would just say, the question would be: they they they've got limited vacation time, so rather than being selfish with the vacation time and going by themselves, would mm-hmm. it be possible to take the family and have a family vacation yeah. hunting? Yeah. So, uh, I fully appreciate that. I like that. I like when someone puts priority to their family and is weighing all this and balancing the concern. Uh, if you do that, do not expect it to be the same as if you're out hunting yourself. Uh, so have the proper expectation and, uh, just make sure it stays fun. That's, and know that, uh, you, because I, I could see a tendency of like, well, I did this because I wanted to spend time with the family, but it's really slowing down my elk hunting. You know, I, I can't pack this three-year-old on my back. Dad, why this? Dad, why is the sky blue? Dad, why does the wind blow? You know, well, you got to answer those questions. You got to spend time with that three-year-old. So the best time to do it might be on the dock fishing bluegills rather than trying to bugle in an elk in the mountains. So, yeah, that's a, I, and that's a tough one. Cause I mean, when you do have limited mm-hmm. vacation time, and you want to spend it with your family. First off, is your family on board with that? Do they want yeah. to go elk hunting or are they going to have a, you know, would they be happier at home, you mm-hmm. know, while you're, while you're out elk hunting? So I think that's a, sometimes we think, well, I'll, you know, I want to go elk hunting and I'll bring my family along with me and I'll go out elk hunting and you leave them at camp or in a cabin or whatever it is. And I know my wife, when our kids were young, she was much more comfortable at home where she had everything she needed rather than, you know, we, we camped a ton, but if I was to give her a choice mm-hmm. between spending a week in a tent with a toddler or a newborn versus staying at home where she's comfortable with that, um, you know, she would, she would stay at home, I think. But so I think, yeah. you know, it's important. Don't do this as your idea. If they say, Hey, why don't we come with you? That'll be fun. Then set some serious expectations, some realistic expectations right. of, do I need to be back at camp every day, middle of the day? Are you okay if I hunt every morning until nine or 10 o'clock? And then I come back and we hang out as a family. And then maybe in the evening, we go out as a family for a hike and try to get something to bugle. I get my alone time hunting in the morning, but we spend the rest of the day together as a family. I think being clear on that, because there's nothing worse than you saying we're going on a family vacation and, and your family's expectation is, we're all going to be together for seven days. And your expectation is my family's going to sit at camp and be happy because they're on a vacation and I'm going to be off by myself all day. Um, that's, that's a disaster. So being realistic. And then when it comes to hunting with kids, like you said, it's, if you're taking a three-year-old hunting with you, which I think is one of the most important things you can do, you have to make it about them. You're not there hunting, yep. trying to fill your tag. That is secondary, tertiary, whatever, you know, on down the line. Primary is you make sure that three-year-old has fun. 
and you make it about yep. them. And if they want to stop and ask you about an ant pile and they want to kick that ant pile while there's an elk bugling down the hill, they kick that ant pile. And, and when they start screaming because <laughs> they got bit by the ants, that's just part of kicking <laughs> the ant pile. And, and you have to be, you know, have realistic <sighs> expectations there. So, yeah, that's, I get asked that question a lot. You know, how did you get your son into hunting and da da da? Like, you know, for me, it was all about, any trip we did, I don't care if it was fishing, bird hunting, elk hunting, it had to be fun. If it wasn't fun, it was going to ruin his interest in doing it. And my wife, she hunted with me for a long time. Uh, and finally, she wised up. She's like, <laughs> you know what, pal? You got to be the worst elk hunter in, in Montana. And we, out and we do this. We pay a babysitter. We drop the kid off at four in the morning. You make me hike up this trail in the snow and cold for, I don't know, an hour and a half. And then we just sit on a rock and freeze to death for the rest of the day. Why are we doing this? We've never shot an elk yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? Where would you want to go? And she's be like, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. You know, I, I guess I should have said, where on this mountain would you want to go? I wasn't precise enough. She said, I want to go home. And one time we're in the gravelly range here in Montana. <laughs> Just, uh, it was one of the last elk hunts she ever wanted to do. Uh, and uh, she's sitting on this rock. We have been out all day. And she says, I can't go any further. You got these big long legs that step through the snow and I'm just, I'm dying. I'm sitting on this rock. I can see the truck down there, drive it up here. I'm like, well, with all the snow, I don't think I can get up here. Well, you better try, pal. <laughs> so I got down there, I put it in four wheel drive and I get stuck. And uh, so I walk up the hill to where she's at, leave the truck stuck there. She's like, well, what happened? I'm like, I'm stuck. We're, we're, I went down in this drift and we're going to have to jack it up and I'm going to have to have you in there and da, da, da. So she did walk down the hill to the truck and we got it unstuck. And, uh, I kept inviting her to go elk hunting. <laughs> She's like, you know, if you ever start finding any and shooting any, maybe I'll be interested. But until then, nah, you, you, you take your Saturday and go do that. Uh, so I use that as an example where I probably let my enthusiasm override the, the day. And, yeah. uh, so, because for her, elk hunting is fun. It's time together. It's being out in the woods and, you know, whether we were bird hunting or elk hunting or fishing. And I was at that young point in my life where I was like, I got to kill my first elk. I got to kill my first elk. And I let my enthusiasm and my drive to do that get in the way of of common sense. So I, yeah. I well, should have set a better expectation because usually I'd when I'd plan our hunts, I'd go out in the worst conditions and I'd feel like, well, these are terrible conditions. If we just walk more where there aren't any elk, some elk will show up here. <laughs> and for somebody who's not a hunter or not used to hunting that just doesn't make any sense like yeah. that's the last thing that makes sense and so yeah. one one bad experience that you force upon somebody will have far more weight than 10 good experiences that 
that happens. So yeah, make yeah. it make it a good experience. <laughs> if the weather's bad, build a fire and hang out at the fire. Um, go back to the truck, you know, make it about them. Think, think about them. Yeah. What are they thinking? And, you know, each of my kids were different. You know, some of them didn't want to be out in that. Some of them thrived and they want, they were the ones dragging me over the next mountain. And so you've got mm-hmm. to just, you've got to cater it to them. And that's Jesse just graduated high school this last weekend and she's 18. And, you know, I did a, I put together a little video montage for one of our, her favorite songs that, you know, we kind of, a daddy daughter song is just fishing by Trace Atkins. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, we aren't only fishing or we ain't only fishing. And yeah. uh, I, so I put together from the time she was a newborn, her holding the fishing pole and all of these <laughs> fishing trips that we've been on, you know, and everything. And it just, as you look at it, I wanted to be off by myself at the best fishing hole that she was too small to make it to or something. But mm-hmm. because we spent that time when, when they're little, I mean, yep. you know, I ended it with her shooting a giant bowl last year with her bow and you know, those, those experiences, you have to start small, you have to make it about them and they have to grow into wanting to go with you yep. on those harder experiences. And if you try to force those harder experiences on them from the beginning, it's going to be a bad experience and it's actually, it'll push them yep. away and they won't want to be there. So make it about yeah. them. Yeah, make it about them. And when I say set expectations, I'm saying set your expectations. Don't expect them to bring their (laughs) expectations up to what yours might be, because uh, that's not a good recipe. So, um, but go do it. I agree. Yeah, it's the best time you can invest is time with your family. So there's there will come times later in life, you know, when maybe you got a little more freedom and and able to do it so uh don't don't do anything that puts you in front of the family Uh, and the other thing is even as they get older and they have school you know they're they're fully capable hunting partners now um but they don't have the the luxury of time that i have and that i expect and so it'd be really easy for me to say well i'm just going to go on my out-of-state hunt for two weeks and you know, cause they can't go, uh, yeah. but there are always opportunities. It might be for two hours after school or after sports or on a Saturday morning and you only have a morning, but make the sacrifice to take those times and, and spend that time with them. Because like you said, there, there's nothing more rewarding. I've hunted my whole life. I've hunted with hunting partners, some great hunting partners, uh, but there is, there's no memory I have that is as special to me as those experiences with my kids. Yeah. Ditto. It's, uh, worth every bit of it. So just plan accordingly, go there and have a ton of fun. Yeah. So, uh, tons of other questions. I'm trying to think of which ones that we, we want to take uh, <laughs> a lot of guys had high expectations of drawing elk tags in Kentucky and Pennsylvania. Uh, I had zero expectation. And when we talk about setting proper expectations, I set my expectation properly. Yeah. I, I have but, high hopes, just no expectation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, I, I didn't draw either, but a couple people wrote to us and said that they did draw yeah. in Kentucky, which is cool. Uh, 
it's just amazing to think that there's what 12, 13, 14,000 elk walking around Kentucky. Yeah. It's crazy. Aren't uh, you going to Kentucky? I am. Our sweepstakes yeah. winner from last year, he, uh, uh, through, you know, Kentucky is 90% private land. So to open up access, they give these big mining company, you know, these reclaimed mine properties, they give them some tags and a tag was donated to the elk foundation for the purposes of this fundraiser. And, uh, we raised a lot of money for RMEF and somebody gets to go hunt elk in Kentucky. So I won't be the trigger guy, but I'll get to, to do it or at least as close to elk hunting in Kentucky as he can be without actually being the hunter. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll report back to you. I can't wait to hear about but, it. Yeah. So that way when you and I draw our tags there in the <laughs> next year or two, we'll, uh, we'll know where to go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sure. Remember, high high hopes, high hopes, yeah. low expectations. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, your your Lyme's disease thing. Yeah, uh, we never finished that topic. Did you have anything more you wanted to? Yeah, to you know, expand on I, that. I think it's probably worthy of a of a whole episode itself. Just uh, okay. you know, it's been fourteen years, and I still have some effects from it, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't haven't really talked too much about it for a long time and part of that is uh when i first you know found out i had it or even before i found out i had it and thought i might have it i couldn't find any information i couldn't find any help and Mm. you know i get get frustrated all these forums or whatever people would say i have this symptom i have this you know but then nobody would ever come back and say well here's what helped you know i I had it too it seemed like all these people either still had it and just gave up or they you know got over it and moved on and and left all the other people just sitting there feeling hopeless and so a lot of it was i didn't want to talk about having it and dealing with it Mm -hmm. and not having an answer and you know leaving people like well if you know Corey has it and he can't get help then you know I guess there's no, no hope for us. And so I didn't say, and it it was a long, you know, struggle and there's still lingering things I deal with from, from time to time. But I think at this point, um, I I think I've recovered as much as I'm going to. And now it's a matter of, uh, moving forward with, with what's left and, and Mm -hmm. uh, dealing with that. And so, you know, I, I think it would be, uh, good to talk about from the beginning, you know, how I got it how uh the diagnosis the symptoms the treatments uh where we're at and all that but it'll uh it would probably have tendency to get very lengthy and uh (laughs) there's a lot there there it's just it's a topic that it's uh okay i'd I'd love to expand on it so yeah maybe we can uh, do a full episode and devote that to Corey whining about his health challenges well the reason i bring it up is we get a ton of of emails from people who talk about they have this health challenge or that health challenge or whatever it is. And they're realities of life. You know, if you've got great health, perfect health, thank your lucky stars. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's not something to be taken for granted. Uh, do whatever you can to preserve that, that good health that you have, because we've had, quite a few emails and comments about people have 
you know, how they've got this issue or that issue. But kind of the remarkable thing of many of those emails is how they've just said, you know, that's my life. I, I'm not going to sit around and feel sorry about it. Off I go. And, yep. you know, they'll send us a picture or something that has a an elk they shot or a deer they shot or whatever. And it's like, how cool is that? This person has all kinds of reasons why they could sit around and be woe is me and the world dealt me a bad hand or whatever. And no, they're just going out, going out hunting, making the most of it. So I, I think at some point in time, maybe we do a podcast with your Lyme's disease and my bum liver. Uh, there's probably a lot of people out there who can, can relate to it. Uh, we can sure relate to it when, uh, when people send us those those comments, so yeah. Well, and I yeah. think you know we we mentioned that we've got these issues, but um, people don't get to see you on video with your face all swollen up, and <laughs> you know you've been laying in bed for three days and see you know what it's what it's like behind yeah. the scenes and some of the uh, issues that that I've faced. You know, in the off season during season some of those things, I mean, it really is some days it's just, it's literally a matter of putting one foot in front of the other and, and knowing, or at least hoping tomorrow's going to be better. And so I think there's, there's some value there for sure. And hopefully there's enough value in what I've learned in 14 years of dealing with it um, mm-hmm. to be able to help somebody else that maybe is going through it or knows somebody is because it's Lyme disease is just, it's, I think it's the number one fastest growing disease in, in America. And, you know, it's, it's becoming a lot more prevalent. When I was first diagnosed with it, it was almost taboo to talk about, you know, I went to multiple Hmm. medical doctors that all just kind of laughed and like, we don't have that in Idaho. That's only in Connecticut. That's where it came from. And that's the only place you can get it. And then you, you get into the secret underground world of these practitioners who specialize in Lyme disease. And, you know, I've called them witch doctors. I mean, I've been to, (laughs) I've been to everything from a cardiologist to a witch doctor that gives veterinary antibiotics. So it's, you know, and there's a whole spectrum of people in between there, but it, uh, it's becoming a, a much bigger conversation now and more people, you know, you look at, uh, I think Justin Bieber and Avril Lavigne and some, you know, notable people that have gotten it and have had to deal with it. And uh, I think it's becoming a, a bigger conversation for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll put that one on the list someday of uh, things we want to explore and maybe go back and accumulate all of these audience comments we don't want to rat anybody out or (laughs) use a name or whatever because that's kind of private stuff and they they share that with us but it's i guess to me when we get them it's remarkable to see the hand some people get dealt and how they make the most of it and you just look at those inspiring to me yeah those hunt of a lifetime and outfitter for hope hunts that we do i I think for me that's been the the biggest thing that whenever i'm feeling down or whenever i'm having a bad day and it's like man i can't get any oxygen today i can't hike up the mountain i just think about some of these kiddos that you know can't hike literally can't hike up the mountain or you know they're sitting there in camp with a pick line to their heart giving them antibiotics because they're giving them you know cancer treatment medication and uh it's like you know you kick yourself in the rear end it's like quit feeling sorry for yourself you know it's yeah it might be hard breathing you might not be able to get the oxygen you need to get yeah your back might hurt whatever it is you're still out doing it quit focusing on 
the bad yep. part of it and focus on what you are able to do. So, yeah, well, that's hopefully people take from that the positive attitude and uh, move forward with it and and become that example of of just you know that that human spirit that says, okay, this is what I got to deal with. Here's where I'm going. I'm still doing what I want to do, and I think that earns more respect more appreciation than than the guy who sits around oh, oh i can't believe it i got a hangnail this morning you know? <laughs> if only i didn't have that hangnail i'd be able to kill an elk this year too <laughs> yeah but uh hey you were supposed to be in bozeman this week what you on the faa blacklist every here word of note folks do not plan a flight with Corey jacobson or to be on the flight Corey jacobson is on because it's probably going to get canceled Man, I don't know. I and I think I told you. I I remember looking around the airport for the four hours I was sitting there. Every other flight left just fine. It just yeah. happened to be my flight again that had a mechanical issue. The cabin wasn't pressurizing or something. So yeah, I was supposed mm-hmm. to be in Bozeman doing some more courses for a outdoor class. And yeah. uh, Sunday afternoon, I'm sitting in the airport waiting for them to call my number. I mean, I'm literally standing with my bags in my hand at the uh, at the gate, ready to go get on the plane. Uh, and they said, well, we've, we've got maintenance looking at a little issue. And after uh, three hours, they finally said, well, folks, we've gone ahead and canceled the flight for today. So we'll uh, we'll see what we can do to get you on flights. It'll get you where you're going. And so I jumped online and there was actually a flight that afternoon that would still get me to Bozeman. And by the time I put it in my cart and hit, you know, exchange mm-hmm. for my current flight, somebody else had taken it and there were no seats left. And then the next flight available didn't get me until midnight the next day. And right. looking at that, and then, I mean, it just turned into a, a bit of a circus and a logistic <laughs> scheduling nightmare. So we canceled the trip and rescheduled it for later this summer. Yeah. Well, because you canceled, they've had me in the hot chair there <laughs> talking about cow elk nutrition for the last better part of a day. And uh, you know how hard it is to take 10 years of research about elk nutrition and put it into an eight or nine minute video chapter i know you didn't talk about everything you learned no it's like (laughs) come on but i get it you know i most people would fall asleep listening to me nerd out on all this stuff but uh hopefully i at least got the highlights and the basics that when you're hunting cow elk follow their stomach or they're they're gonna follow their stomach so know what their stomach needs and that's where you're going to find them that's about as even i made that complicated i I took (laughs) i took nine and a half minutes to explain that that i just said in a sentence but and then i tried to explain to, to the audience in that chapter why it is that elk feed so heavily so often while we're out hunting them and the cliff's note version of that is A cow elk has a basic, this is on a 450-pound cow elk, has a basic nutritional requirement of 4,000 kilocalories per day to maintain. Well, once she starts lactating in June, July, and parts of August, that jumps to 6,000. So that's a 50% increase 
in lactation-driven nutritional needs. So she's not going to be able to gain as much weight as she would like in the summer months when all this great forage is out there. So as the summer ends, the forage starts to dry up. It's less nutritious. In other words, the amount uh, the volume they have to take in to gain the same amount of calories every day gets a little less and a little less and a little less. So if you wonder why cow elk are out feeding longer, later, and more often than bull elk, is because they're trying to build back up to that 10 to 12%, 15% body fat before winter comes. And they, their real chance to do that is once they stop lactating. So, So June to September when they're lactating, all of that extra good feed that they have is just going to maintain where they're at. They aren't able to put on anything extra. They aren't able to build reserves during that time, which you would think, you know, I think in in my mind, even before you started, you know, doing some of this research, research and sharing it is, man, the summer months are when they get fat. Summer months are when they're, you know, they're just building all this. They've got all that good feed. They aren't moving around. They're they're just storing up. And then, you know, come mm-hmm. September, October, the nutritional value is going down, but it's okay. They've already gained everything. Well, that's that's not the case. They uh, yeah. they have to use September, October, the first part of November to actually make the gains that they need. So that's why they're, they're so yeah. devoted to feed and not only feed, but the best feed. Yeah, that's and they you'll notice in August they'll start bumping that calf kicking her like leave me alone, leave me alone. I <laughs> I got to I got to start getting fat again here. And in the the most premium habitats with the highest forage nutrition, especially if it's forbs and the least amount of human disturbance, they can gain weight while lactating. But human disturbance, if you bump them that, you know, just that disturbance causes them to burn and expend calories. And if you move them away from the most nutritious item on that landscape on that day, they are, they're going backwards or they're struggling to stay even. So that's why all these studies coming out of places where, you know, most of them have been coming out of Colorado, how public land recreation or elk country recreation, quote unquote, non-consumable, is having huge impacts on the health of cow elk and their calves. Well, and to the human eye, we really can't notice that, oh, they're up there in that that meadow where I'm going to walk my dog or ride my mountain bike. Those lupines up there are what they need this week. Those are only in bloom for the next 10 days, and they're just in there hammering them. Well, me and my dog are going to walk up there, and my they think my dog's a wolf. They take off running, and now they go and eat some, you know, later phase grass that came out in April rather than lupine. Well, they just went backwards. Yep. And every one of these disturbances cause them to go backwards. And... Then you look at, oh, look at that beautiful yellow or purple meadow up there. Well, really, that's all invasive weeds. They can, they can eat that. That, that looks lush yeah. and yeah. looks so yeah. good. An elk probably just wants to eat that. They'll probably bed there and eat all summer. Yeah. Well, guess what? That Once that ha- – they're not removed from that habitat. That habitat is kind of removed from them. Yeah. 
again, it affects this nutrition thing. And the whole herd of the whole health of your elk herds is based on what kind of habitat and forage those cow elk have during this period. And and so you know, let's, and, let's throw wolves in the landscape and let them chase the elk around during the summer too now. Yeah, I talk about that. I talk about predation disturbance because the, the really the equation is the, the elk wants to have the greatest net caloric caloric intake. Well, that's two factors. It's the gross consumption of calories, in other words, quality of forage, minus the expenditure in going out and doing this feeding. Okay, that's human disturbance. That's if I got to walk a long distance to get to the best food, that's locomotion. Uh, Thermoregulation, because it's super hot, or predation. And predation can be hunting and natural predators, but... If you have predation that's happening during this difficult time, and I don't care if it's wolves, mountain lions, bears, humans, whatever, you are having an expenditure by that cow elk to avoid places of higher predation. And you just couple couple the heat, thermal regulation during the summer with their lactating and wolves who now have a den full of pups that they're teaching to hunt. So they're out continually during the summer months teaching them to hunt. That's it. I mean, those are some pretty strong factors for an elk to have to overcome Mm -hmm. just to be able to maintain health, let alone build health. Yeah. And then you throw in how much human, quote unquote, non-consumptive outdoor recreation has been happening. Yeah. It's like, and we wonder why some of our elk herds are having challenges. Uh, so you look at that and you prioritize. They prefer Forbes are the most nutritious for every, we'll say, pound or kilogram of Forbes they consume. They're going to get a way higher nutritional benefit from a pound of Forbes than they are a pound of grasses. So explain explain the difference between a Forb and a grass. Okay, a forb is like a flowering plant that blooms usually in the high moisture periods of April, May, June, maybe even into July. Uh, Very succulent, highly preferred, lupines, uh, asters, balsam root, uh, those kind of things that you see up there. If it has a flower, there's a very good chance it's a forb. And they love them because if they can stand in one little spot and consume 10 pounds of forbs, that just that gives them such a great head start. But as the forbs start drying, drying, drying up, and some of them are only in bloom in May, and some are, and then they're gone. And then another different type comes in in June, and so it's it's not like throughout the landscape of summer it's the same forb. Right. It's there's like this rotation of of which ones are in bloom and which ones are available. And on but a year by the like end of this, where we have all this moisture, it extends mm-hmm. the the window. Oh, yeah. So those yep. forbs right now are in full bloom, yeah. and they're going to stay in bloom for a long time. Whereas when you don't have a lot of moisture and you get an early summer when it gets hot, they come and go real quickly. Quite. So this year is going to be great yep. for elk yep. to really pack on some some extra yep. calories. Yeah, but even in a wet year like this, the just the bloom cycle, the the sun exposure, the photo period. By the end of August, most of the forbs have disappeared, except in monsoon places like New Mexico, Arizona, 
maybe, you know, maybe some of those places you'll get a bloom of Forbes. <clears throat> so when you're doing your planning for where the cow elk are going to be, as much as Forbes are the most nutritious forage on the landscape, they're not available or they're hardly available at all. So they're going to rotate then over to what is the next most nutritious, and that's going to be your grasses. Fescues, timothy, bunch grass, wheatgrass, uh, you know. And uh, people always are like, well, what grass grows in my area then? Well, that's where you got to go do your research because <laughs> the grasses that grow in Montana in the high alpine environments are way different than the grasses that grow out on the, the grassland plains of New Mexico or eastern Arizona. So, uh, but most hunting periods, we're going to either be focusing on grasses or the most succulent of the shrubs. So there's all kinds of shrubs that are out there. You know, the the starvation diet shrubs would be sagebrush and serviceberry. Then you get to aspen, mahogany, <coughs> gambles oak. Those are actually nutritious enough and available enough that you get to some places of Colorado, northern New Mexico, parts of Utah. They're making a good living on those shrubs or that browse. So is uh, like would huckleberry brush be considered shrub? Because I know, you know, a lot yes. of the western states yep. in elk country, you're looking, especially in the summer when they're green, I think in fall, the leaves start to die off. So probably not mm -hmm. not as nutritious, but they're pretty plentiful. Yep. So so those mm -hmm. shrubs, uh, you know, two foot to three foot high shrubs that you're seeing that you're walking through and you're scouting in July and August, that's they prime can. feed for, for that yep. time frame. Yep. Once those shrubs get to be too old, too high, they lose their nutritional value. So you'll see them walking around. It's like, well, why'd they just walk past that one? Well, that one is a 10-year-old aspen. They're looking for these one or two-year-old aspen that have, you know, however much of a of a growth this year. And they're just mowing that down. So some landscapes, you know, there's not the grasses either. Just like in most landscapes, there's not the forbs. So they have to sh shift over to what are the shrubs or browse that give them the greatest nutritional intake for the amount of consumed forage. So, yeah, that's, uh, Man. I tried to do that. I, th I, I think told you me. need to write a book. This eight and a half minutes of talking for an outdoor class chapter you aren't you aren't even scratching the yeah. surface here. We, we no. need a book or something. From you. <laughs> uh, well, I will to Corey Jacobson all my volumes of searches and notes and no, I, I want you to condense it <laughs> and compile it and organize it for me. That's what I want you to will me is the published book that you put out on elk forage. Yeah. Well, and then you know we get into this thing about our elk migratory or non-migratory because that makes a big difference on where the elk go cow elk specifically to find the best forage yeah you know if you're in new mexico arizona a place that's more rolling hills say western new mexico well there are some slopes that stay even in drought years stay greener than the other parts well those are usually north exposure ones even though there's no trees there well where do you suppose those elk are going to forage <laughs> they're right going there, there. <laughs> or they're going down in canyons or they're going in other places where this the sun exposure is not 
destroyed the forage. So, oh, and where the moisture oh. lingers longer, you know, on those yep. north faces, that moisture is not getting dried up by the sun as quickly. So we think, you know, elk bed on north faces because it's cooler there, especially in areas where it's shady, you know, where there's timber and, and cover. But the moisture doesn't leave those landscapes on the north faces as quickly either, which means that the food stays more nutritious longer. Yep. Exactly. So there's all these things, you know, okay, we got migratory elk. In a drought year, they have to leave the summer range quicker because less grew up there. It dried out quicker. The first little snow is like, oh, oh, I got to get out of here. Whereas if it's a moist year like this and it stays moist like this, they will be able to make a living up higher, even into some snow conditions that in a drought year would have pushed them down. So there's just all these things that determine where on the landscape cow elk go to satisfy that nutritional need. It changes by landscape, it changes by year, it changes by season, it changes by day, which is why I tell people, if you're using food to find cow elk, which in archery season leads you to bull elk, you need to know what the best forage is on that day, not last week, not next week, that day. And that's where you're most likely to find those cow elk. So, yeah, it's, uh, see, because you bailed out, Corey, they had to put me in the hot chair this week. <laughs> what, what you're talking about is far more fascinating than what I get to talk about. So. <laughs> oh, I doubt that. You know, it, this is a part that I struggled with, though, because they had me do the chapter on tactics for rifle cow elk. Yeah. There's really not. <laughs> how complicated can you make it right you got a firearm in your hand you got a cow elk that has to stay where the best forage is and as long as she's not disturbed she's not leaving she found the best forage on the on the landscape this week she's going to be there every day you mean there's no strategy <laughs> involved in hunting a cow elk during that season you just find the food oh. and that's all there is to it well, there's that, but it's mostly like <laughs> tactics about, well, stay downwind, you know, don't <laughs> get up high know, in glass, stay downwind. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like people are going to say, Newberg, I sat through this just to hear all this stuff. Well, the real ticket is the first two chapters about the gross caloric intake yeah, and then the caloric expenditures, which is chapter four. Those are the two things that are going to tell you where. And once you know the where, you'll, you'll have it eliminated and you'll be down to like six spots to check out. And once you find them, if you can't kill a cow elk with a rifle in your hand, <coughs> I, 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 um, <laughs> let, let, let I don't me know make what sure to say. The, the, the listeners didn't gloss over that. Once you find them, if mm -hmm. you can't kill a cow elk. Exactly. That's, that's uh, once you yeah, find them. That's that's ninety nine percent of hunting cow elk with a rifle is finding them. Yep, and, and that's I think, why I keep. I, I say where. Yep. where I use the term where. I'm sure people are going to say we get it, Randy. Where? <laughs> why okay. don't you just tell me where they are? <clears throat> well, that's the other part. We get all the email. Tell, can you tell me where they'll be? No, because I don't know if it's going to be a drought year. I don't know if it's going to snow four days before you get there. I don't know how much hunting pressure is going to be there. I don't know what the predation issue is. I don't There's know what all... the feed sources are in your specific area. 
yeah, I can find your feed sources real quickly. And I say, you know what? You got state agency people, you got federal agency people, and Google is your friend. So I can real, I don't care where you hunt elk. I can, within an hour, I'll know what forage type they're focused on in hunting season. Then it's like, okay, <clears throat> if that is their preferred forage type, where does it grow? Yeah. What sun exposures, what elevations, what, because, you know, people think that, oh, this is their favorite forage. It must grow everywhere on the landscape. <laughs> well, no. South-facing slopes in a lot of the West are not very conducive to that type of forage. But when, like you were saying earlier, when you start rolling around that slope to a, a north, northeast, northwest, or even an east exposure, guess what? The forage there is way different than it is in a south or southwest exposure. It just, so it doesn't take too long, though, with experience. You'll find out where... One, you'll find out what you're looking for, and then your second step is, now that I know what I'm looking for, how do I go and determine where that grows? So, Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'll am i be doing a chapter for that same course on strategies and tactics for hunting cow elk during archery seasons. And, Which is uh, way harder. Well, you know, I... I'm glad they left it to you. I don't think it is way harder. There's... Uh, you know, finding elk is going to be the same. You got to find the feed sources and then the tactic. Once you find them, it's definitely harder to kill a cow elk with a bow once you find them than to shoot one with a rifle once you find them. But, yeah. um, well, I don't want to spoil it because it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, oh. I think people are missing out by not hunting cow elk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think people that, are, that want that experience of, the, the rut, you know, the rut experience. And mm -hmm. they say, well, I'm just going to wait till I draw a bull tag. They're missing out on the rut experience and the opportunity to experience it with a cow tag. Yeah. Marcus and I were talking that in the next year or two, we just need to go on a cow elk safari just to show people it's fun. It's easier to draw tags. You, you know, that they're they're more abundant you know if you got a bull to cow ratio that's 30 bulls per 100 cows guess what <laughs> there's three times four times as many cows out there as there are bulls yep. uh <clears throat> it, it's great food and you're probably helping out in some form of the management plan that the state agency has put together so so when's this yeah. when's this class going to be when's when's the course on hunting cow elk going to be available I, I don't know, Corey. If if you keep <laughs> buying airline tickets and get canceled, <clears throat> I I don't know. Maybe September. I don't know. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Are, now that you they rescheduled you for August, I think. Yeah, I was trying to make yeah. it work for a couple of weeks for now, but or from now, but looks like it's going to be August. So. Yeah. So, I don't know when it'll be available. In the interim, I guess Elk Talk Podcast is your. <laughs> <laughs> your best chance to talk and nerd out on on elk nutrition that's uh, right but oh well, i i i enjoy this stuff i feel like i'm learning i i feel like every time i encounter or draw a new tag or i'm going to help somebody in a new area it gives me reason to explore this stuff even more and try to connect the dots about where should we find them like this whole kentucky elk tag for me this is the, they get to hunt them with a rifle starting September 30th, Corey, like the peak of the rut. And, uh, so, uh, 
the common answer, people would say, well, where are the bulls going to be? Well, they're going to be where the cows are, you know, that time of year. So I'm really trying to figure out what are these cow elk feeding on in Kentucky that period, that, you know, last part of September, early part of October. And uh, it's way different than what we have here because they, at least in most of the research, they have a, a little bit more constant of temperature and moisture patterns than the west is more prone to drought uh but they have a rapid succession of their plant communities so where somebody said oh they were really in here thick eight years ago as rapidly as those plant communities succeed each other that spot might be a dead hole six years later so uh it's interesting. We'll see if if we go there and we don't see any elk. It's like, well, don't listen to Newberg. He didn't know what the heck he's talking about. Just blowing smoke. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> so that's what I've been working on the last since I got back from bear hunting. Nice. And how Marcus was bear shot hunting? a bear? I was gonna say, how I, was bear oh, hunting? I, oh, it was great. I shot it. You know the old blind squirrel finds a nut theory once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I I saw this bear. I'm like, boy, he looks big. Ah, I'm just excited, you know. I, and then he hung out there. It's the best bear footage we ever got before we shot one for 45 minutes. He lays out in the tall grass of this tide flat, taking a nap, doing the yogi thing, scratching his belly a little bit. He'd roll over. He's so fat and so lazy. He would feed while laying on his. Have you ever seen those videos of dogs that lay on their belly and eat out of their, eat their treats out of yeah. the dog dish? That's what he would do. He wouldn't even get up and walk. He'd just roll his head around, clunk, 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 and then he'd nudge himself forward with his back legs or pull himself with his front legs. Uh-huh. I told Jason Cameron, I'm like, Maybe this guy isn't going to stand up. And, maybe uh, he can't. <laughs> maybe. I mean, he looks so fat. I looked at Jace. I said, am I faked out or is he really big? Should I shoot him? And Jace is like, I'm, I'd shoot him if I was you. And, uh, yeah, it turned out to be one of those lucky encounters where great big one. That's so. awesome. And unlike most spring bears, this bear smells actually sweet. A lot of spring bears have a pretty strong smell to them because yeah. they just ate an elk gut pile before they <laughs> crawled in the den or something. You know, or in Alaska, they went and ate a bunch of rotten salmon, salmon before they yeah. crawled in the den. I think this guy must have been in the blueberry patch before he crawled in the den. So <laughs> I'm uh, pretty excited. And, and then here, Marcus, he, he went out and he shot a bear here in Montana. Uh, Jason, Michael are out bear hunting right now. Um, and this kind of gets me to, a guy got in a little spat with me, uh, via email about how it shouldn't be hunters who manage predators. That's what we've always paid the government to do. And I'm like, oh, well, for the ag industry, we have, you know, what is it? Wildlife services or ADC animal damage control, but. I've always thought it was hunters' jobs to go out and hunt lions and bears and wolves or whatever. I, uh, and okay, <laughs> uh, if, if if that guy thinks that we're supposed to pay the government to go and hunt bears for us, it's like what? Yeah. If if they shut down bear season and say, "Oh, we're going to have the government take care of that," I'd be like, "No way!" I'd, I'd be look at look at all the states that don't have bear season. Is the government yeah. not doing it? 
Yeah. No? So I don't know. I, it's an interesting perspective that I hadn't really thought about. And what spawned it was I'd made a kind of off the cuff comment. <clears throat> Maybe I'd said it on this podcast uh, where I said, you know, if you're complaining, the first thing I ask someone who complains about wolves is, have you been out hunting and trapping them? <clears throat> uh, and usually it's all crickets. And the guy emailed me. He's like, hey, I heard that one comment you made. And I, maybe it was. Did I ever say that on this podcast? Uh-huh. Yeah, we've talked oh, about well, it. Well, maybe, maybe this is where he heard it. Uh, and he's like, that's a lot easier said than done. And that should the, the government introduced them. That should be the government's job to take <laughs> care of them. Okay, whatever. For me, you know, I spent a large part of my adult life arguing for delisting of wolves. And state management. And yeah. if state management is hunting them, trapping them, whatever, I I want us to keep doing that. I, I don't want to pay the government to go do it. So the government won't do it. I mean, there, there's, you know, when you look at the state agencies, if hunters aren't doing it, the state fish and game agencies don't have the budget or the resources to do it. So right. it's not going to happen. We, we know the federal government's track record. They're not going to go out and manage. They'll get shut down in lawsuits. Right. The second they say we're going to go out and, you know, clip the toenails on a wolf. (laughs) Nature's got to manage nature. So it's just, that's not even a viable consideration. It just, it wouldn't happen. So we're, uh, we're, we're nature's best hope, unfortunately. mm -hmm. And for me, I make no apologies about going out and hunting these kind of things. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm going to eat that bear and, you know, it's a ton of fun being out there. And it's, I don't want to say that I'm doing this just for the fact that a black bear might eat five elk calves. Okay. I, I'm out there because one, I'm a hunter and I'm fascinated by bears. I want to be out on the landscape when they're out there. And guess what? Our agency says we we target this many bears being harvested, and that keeps you know things somewhat in balance. And I always thought that's the role hunters play. Is yeah. you know, <laughs> so, I, no, I, don't I just, know. I, just I, I get so tired of feeling like we have to justify right. why we hunt. We yeah, hunt because I, that that is the North American model of conservation. That's how we keep animals on the landscape. That's how we manage them. It just doesn't happen without hunting. It it doesn't, it won't. You know, if hunting goes away, we can't pretend that the government's going to come in and manage animals to to conserve them. Yeah, they'll put them on the endangered species list if they get too low. But what's Mm -hmm. that do? Putting them on a list doesn't help them grow. You know, if if there's no hunting out there, there's still going to be wild swings in populations of animals. And without hunting out there to put the resources being financially and energy time spent, it's not going to happen. So rather than justifying it by saying, well, we're going to eat it or, you know, we're going to save elk by shooting bears. It's just the model that works that's been proven to work. It's the only model that will work to make sure that there are not only elk and deer in 100 years from now, but there are also bears and wolves and cougars and everything yep. else. That's it. Hunting, unfortunately, for those who don't like hunting, is the only viable management tool to ensure that all wildlife prosper. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it just, I, 
I'm accustomed to getting the pushback from people who don't support hunting. Yeah. But this person was a hunter. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, the government should have to do that. I'm like, what, are you going to tell the government to go catch you a limit of fish? <laughs> but <laughs> come on. I don't know. I, yeah, yeah. Yep. I, if you see me with a black eye someday, Corey, that guy probably saw me on the street and decided he's going to teach me. Well, I, I doubt that. Most people that uh, like to be controversial <laughs> in an email would never have the the uh, <laughs> internal fortitude to say yeah. something to somebody's face. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess it just, it, it struck me and it further, uh, in fact, after that exchange last week, I came in and told the crew, you know what? I think it's time that we film another wolf hunting, a week of wolf hunting. Yep. It's like, you know what? This is what I do. I, I can't, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to deny that I was born a human who predates, who eats, who gets my own food, who does whatever that, that's just who I am. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to hire the government to do that for me. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't oh, see well. the government standing out on a street corner with a sign saying, you know, hire me to take care of your wildlife management. That's, uh, yeah. I, I didn't well. realize that they were posting that job opening. No, and, and so the point of me bringing all that up is we have these opportunities. I hope our audience goes out to whatever degree their state allows and they take advantage of them. Yep. So. Anything else we can do to <laughs> increase the the email blowback? Uh, to increase it, I think it's uh, I, I love getting those emails. But I mean, when they come through, and, and a lot of people are very long winded in their emails, which is fine. <laughs> yeah, that, that's you know sometimes we need the backstory to be able right. to understand where their questions coming from, and that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, but man, yeah, the last couple of weeks I've been spending a lot of time just going through those emails. Yeah, but thanks for sending them, folks. Yeah. We we love them. They're that's not a super insightful. No, that's. <laughs> I think that's what adds to the depth of of topics we cover, and I'm sure when we start down certain paths, people are probably like, "Where in the heck are they headed with this one?" <laughs> the odds are we're headed somewhere that has a viewer comment that we want to get to. It might take us a while to get there, but we're going to get there. Yep. So. And and one comment or question might spawn another ten rabbit holes for Randy and I to explore. So keep them coming. Yeah. yeah. Well, Corey, I uh, I hate to tell you this, but uh, I'm about talked out with all that recording they made me do this morning. I I'm gonna have to go put an ice pack on my throat or something here. Well, I don't envy you. Yeah, I'll get my and turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I and then there's the other part of it as I only know so much, and if I have to talk for that long in a day, I'm just going to start telling stories and making stuff. <laughs> Got to start making so. stuff up, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, yeah, just make it believable. That's that's what I've yeah. always said. If you're going to make something up, make it believable. Yeah, well, as my dad would always say, it's get easier to get people to believe a bigger lie than a little lie. So if you're going to lie, tell a whopper. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was good at that. Well, we started the podcast by telling people this is the place to come if you want to learn about elk hunting. So, man, we lured them right in with the biggest lie right off the start. <laughs> oh, man. 
I just wonder what the people think. They, they got to be like, these guys got to script this stuff. If they knew, we have, <laughs> oh my goodness. We, have, we have never built a script for anything related oh, to this Oh, I podcast. think they can tell that there's no script here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, well, folks, we really appreciate you being here. Hope you'll become a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation if you're not already. Please go out to rmef.org and become a member. And, uh, all kinds of other things. Go to Outdoor Class, use promo code Elk Talk. Go to Go Hunt, use promo code Elk Talk. Mountain right. Ops, promo code Mountain Elk Ops, Talk. Promo code Elk Talk. What yeah. else? We, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's other. When in doubt, use promo code Elk Talk. That's and if right. it doesn't work, call Corey. Tell him, and we'll get him straightened out. <laughs> <laughs> that falls on me now, huh? We, all right. All right. I'll do it this We'll week. see what we can do. <laughs> all right. Thanks for being here, folks. Take care, Corey. Yeah, you too. Thanks. <laughs>